I think it's critical to have a vision for your life. If you're a spiritual person to pray for that, if you're a networker to around grab a bunch of people around that are going to ask you difficult questions, if you're more of a contemplative person, you know, to really do go on some personal retreats and wrestle with it, but you need a vision for your life because it just pulls you forward into a desired future. Even if you just come up with a one-year vision for your life, I think it's critical because then it's like, this is where I want my wellness to be, my relationships to be, my business to be. And now it's like, all right, there's a target. Now I'm going to back into that with some goals. And then I'm going to use time management to make sure those goals get in my calendar and build some momentum on that. And I just think we all need momentum or else we just drift. So I think that is the key is you need a compelling vision for your life. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Be Bold Begin. Hi, welcome back. This is Barcy, your host. And today I'm beginning with a quote. Leaders instill in their people a hope for success and a belief in themselves. Positive leaders empower people to accomplish their goals. And that is by an unknown. But my guest today has written two books on that subject. Leading the Team You've Always Wanted, 11 Inspirational Actions to Build Your Dream Team, and also Leading with Supervision. His name is Paul Casey. He's a leadership coach and the founder of Growing Forward. He's also the host of his podcast, Grow Forward Today, and he believes that vision and relationships are the top two leadership skills. He also has a really fun quiz that tells you which animal personality you are. And I took his free quiz and I'm a lion and a golden retriever, by the way which we'll have to dig into. But with no further ado, welcome, Paul. It is so great to be with you today. I'm so excited to have you here. We had a fun call a couple days ago before this, and we giggled a lot, so you may get some laughter today. (laughs) Because I think we just like to have fun, and we're going to probably have some lightness, I assume, through our conversation, especially because you have a quiz about animals. Yes. Which I love. It's actually about personality, but I love that it's through the lens of animal identifications. So since we're already talking about that, let's just dig into it. Can you tell us what is that about animal personalities? So how does it work and what's the breakdown and what does it all mean? 
Sure. So I got the idea from some authors, Gary Smalley, John Trent. It was hidden in a book on marriage years and years ago. So I want to give them credit for the actual idea. But the four animal personality types are the lion, the otter, the golden retriever, and the beaver. And so what I like about this one is it's fun. Like you said, we giggled a lot about it because we get to poke fun at ourselves and our teammates. Sometimes with these assessments, people don't like to be labeled. I've had one person in every seminar go, no, I don't want to be labeled by that. But with animals, they never protest because it's like, stop being such an otter. And then they, yes, that's who I am. (laughs) And so it's a really fun one. (laughs) And I've also done it with like premarital counseling. I've done it as a leader for my whole team. It's applicable in all different areas. And then even members of my family like, I want to take that. So it's really fun. And it's really important, of course, for our self-awareness. And it's really important for our social awareness because self-awareness, it's good to know uh, how we're wired so that we don't leave wreckage behind us. And it's also good to live into our true self. And then with social awareness, We need to know what the other styles are that are not like us. They're not weird. They're just different. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make them wrong. But it's really good so that we can custom communicate with the other styles that aren't like us. All right. So we got our four styles. Lion, otter, golden retriever, beaver. Want me to do a quick rundown of the four? Yes, I do. The first thing I want to acknowledge, though, is that something that stuck out in what you just said is that the other personalities are not wrong. And I love that this immediately shows us that we're not wrong. It's not about being right or wrong. It's just having fun and learning about ourselves. And I think we love to learn about ourselves. And that's something that I've discovered through the fun of quizzes is people love to hear, learn a little bit more about themselves in a fun way. And this is what that does. So I just wanted to point that out and acknowledge that. But yes, please tell us what the four personalities are. (laughs) And I've never met an assessment I didn't like because of what you just said, right? right? It's great to have these little slices of our life. And of course, we're a blend of all four of these. And I like to say, if you take the quiz and you're like even all the way across, you're either perfectly balanced or you're schizophrenic. You know, one or the other. Your team could probably tell you which one you are. Oh, my. No, just kidding. So the lion style is bold, direct. They're intense about just about everything. They're goal-driven, metrics, results. Results. It's all about taking the next hill. They're very independent. They're risk takers. Now, all of our strengths, if overdone, become a weakness. So we have to be careful not to overdo them. So the weaknesses of the lion style are they are workaholics. They're popping open their laptop on the beach and they just keep working. And it's like, no, you got to relax. They can be too intense, making them unapproachable. Mm. People always like, can I approach the bench, you know, judge? Sometimes they can be a little bit too over the top. They can be blunt and not put the filter over their mouth before they speak because it's just out with it. Feelings aren't as big of a deal to them. It's all about getting her done. (laughs) Sometimes they can forget about other people's feelings. They lack a little bit of empathy. So that's the lion personality style. Then we've got the otter style. The otter is the playful one. I love otters at the zoo or the aquarium. They're on their backs, eating off their chest, and they're, you know, just having a great time playing all the time and so they are witty and charming people they are creative they're spontaneous inspirational optimistic kind of people they'll jump up on the box and say you can't take our freedom you know everybody's like yes (laughs) you know they want to go with the otter wherever they're going We all love to have otter friends because they make us laugh. Now, of course, overdone, otters have their weaknesses too. So they're the messiest of the four styles because they just drop stuff wherever they are. They have piles all over the place and their office looks like a bomb hit it. (laughs) They're later, they're 
more uh, truant than other styles or tardy, I should say, not truant, because they always are more optimistic, like, sure, I can get there in time. And then they can't. <laughs> and so they're always coming in on uh, California time. Little dig there for you Californians. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fashionably late, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, but of course, everybody else has busted their tail to get there. So sometimes that could be a downer for people. They're a little pie in the sky sunshine and rainbows so sometimes people just want them to be real and say you know we're really wrestling with something here can you just be serious for a moment so otters have to of course tone down their speech and laughter they also get on the drama train a little bit too easily people start telling them a story and they go what they blow up very quickly and everybody's like whoa i didn't finish yet settle down (laughs) so that's the otter Golden Retriever style. So just like Golden Retriever puppy that I used to have years ago, you can pull on their ear and they still love you, right? They're patient and warm people, great listeners. They're just chill in that personality style. They're very conscientious. Give me a job and I'll get it done, but I don't want the limelight. People just want to tell their whole life stories to golden retrievers. They sit down in the office and, you know, got a minute and and all day they would just sit there and talk to the golden retriever. Now, the weaknesses of the golden retriever is they feel so deeply that they can get their feelings hurt very easily. So you got to come in soft with the golden retriever. They also hate change. You got to give them a lot of heads ups if you're going to change something in their routine because they really like their routines and they hate conflict. They would rather die than confront somebody because they would rather just like, let's keep this all harmonious and often Sometimes at their own expense, like they'll become a doormat because they don't want to speak up about stuff. Then we have the beaver personality style. This is the organized, structured, planned, color-coded. <laughs> Everything has a place with the beaver, right? Their desk looks immaculate. Their room looks immaculate. Their office looks immaculate. Their checkbook is all up to date. Their calendar is neatly in blocks. Oh and they just love organization. They love numbers and details and research. And uh, they're the one that closes all the loops on a team. Now, the weaknesses of the beaver, probably you can see if that's overdone, they become OCD, right? Obsessive compulsive, because then it's like my way or the highway. You know, if you don't like it my way, you're doing it wrong. And they have to be careful of that. They can be very critical because they've scoped out all the research and they know they're doing it right. And so they think that the rest of the world is doing it wrong. They're really hard on themselves too in their own head. Their inner critic is going like crazy. And that's why it sometimes can ooze out on others. They frown more than the other styles because they're always processing everything. As soon as they hear something, they start overthinking it. So they have to be careful of that. So those are the four personality styles, Barcy. Thank you for running that all down. It's so interesting to listen to because they are so multifaceted in each one that... I was thinking of, oh, that person in my life is definitely an otter or that person in my life is, you know, the accountants are definitely the beavers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we're glad they are. Yes. And it's like, oh, that's so cool when you find alignment in that way. Like it simplifies things, I think, too. But okay, so I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity a little bit because (laughs) you're here and I'm going to put you on the spot. But I got the lion and the golden retriever, which feel like opposites. And I got an equal score in both like exactly the same number, which I thought was so interesting. So tell me what that's all about. (laughs) Yes. Well, and again, that's a five minute quiz right on the website. So hopefully my description of that and the three hour seminar I do, you know, for companies, it nuances enough like, okay, I'm definitely more that than that. Mm. Because 
in answer to your question, there are common blends, right? The lion otter is a common blend. It's all fun and games until it's not, mm. right? And they blow up. The lion beaver is common because it's very productive. That's the most productive. Wow, like, yeah. I want it done right and I want it done now. Intense. <laughs> so that's a common blend. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The golden retriever otter style is common because that's people, people, people. They just love people all the time, nonstop. They just keep getting energy for people. And then the golden retriever beaver one is common. That's me, by the way, which I think is the best style. Of course. No, I'm just kidding. There is no best. There is no best style. That's the right but, style. Just kidding. That's the right style. Yes. Please keep up with us. No, that's pretty introverted overall, but it's high task and high people, which is a nice blend. So when you have a blend that seems the opposite, like lion, golden retriever, or otter beaver, it could mean a couple things. It could mean in one part of your life, you have to ramp up a part of you that's not natural. Like you wouldn't want to dwell there for too long. Um, you can do it for a while, but it's like either in your personal life or your work life, you have to be more of one than the other. Could be also you're in transition. That's another reason for the opposite style. Yeah. So you're going from one season of life to another season of life in some way. So there you go. I don't know if that resonated with you at all. It does in both explanations, actually. And again, that's what's so fascinating about these things to me, because they're seemingly simple. Like you said, it's a five minute quiz on my website, but you get so much information in a way if you answer honestly. Because I think there's temptation sometimes to be like, well, I don't want to be seen. Like you said, in your talks or in groups, it's like, well, I don't want to be identified as that. Right, (laughs) right. (laughs) And it's like, you have to really ask yourself, well, what's the reality? Like, what do I actually do in my life here in this question? (laughs) Yeah, it'd be good to have somebody else take it on you, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have like in marriage counseling or? Yeah, once in a while, I'll have other people do it. I really think I should do that more often because that's when you can compare the two and go, wow, I see myself as this, but for some reason you don't. Let's talk about that. I love reframes like that, where we kind of like churn the tables a little bit and what I would call like turning the prism like around and seeing things through all the different angles and lights. Yes. So that's a fun way to play with that exercise. But yeah, I think I'm in a transition and I also see those two things working for me in different categories of my life, whether it be business or personal. And I also know where I'm more comfortable Mm-hmm. between the two, which is more enjoyable, I should say, what's more enjoyable, and which takes a little more energy at times. It just depends on all of those factors. It's fascinating. And I also see yeah. where the golden retrievers, the person I definitely was as a child, I was very fearful of any conflict and anything like that. It's like, oh my God, don't look at me. Like, <laughs> just pretend <laughs> I'm not here. <laughs> like, everyone just be cool. Yes, like, <laughs> me too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Totally. And I actually, I can see how I'm a blend of all four and you probably could too, just here in the traits, right? I have a little spike of lion because I'm an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, you got to keep going after more clients, right? right. You've got to help. You, you want to take more ground and keep growing. But in my personal life, no way. You would never say that I'm a lion, that I'm going to steamroll over the top of you or like, I want to just duke it out with you, you know, in a debate. Nope, not going to happen. And then like Otter, I love comedians. You know, I love to laugh as we did together, you know, on our call last week. And so I could see how the optimism and the joy of an Otter is deep within me as well. Yeah, and I feel that for myself too. And it makes perfect sense hearing that that's something that you feel is a big part of your personality. And we're like, oh, we could talk about. You also do a lot with time management and things that are very organized, in my opinion. Yes, (laughs) yes. And we, we were like, oh, let's talk about the fun stuff like not that that's not fun by the way I don't want to say it isn't but all right it's not fun there's a lightness to kind of 
talking about leadership through this lens that I find so fun and interesting. And I'm very excited to have you on because I think this is like a really fun way to talk about leadership. I think that there's a lot of rigorousness around it or just ways you're supposed to do it, right? And I think this kind of pulls the veil off of that a little bit and goes, hey, we're all just people. Yep. And we're all just trying to do some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Like, how can we work together? And I love that. This is what I get out of it, at least from the short conversation we've had so far. Would you agree that that's kind of part of it? Yeah. And it's so good. Like, love me the way I am. Accept me for the way I am. I'm going to love you and accept you for the way you are. And yeah, we're quirky and I'm quirky and uh, we have strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, it humanizes us all, like you said, by taking the veil off. It just humanizes us to the level that we are people. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I think in life, we get intimidated by being around very successful people or powerful people or whatever those are. They still put their pants on one leg at a time, (laughs) as people used to say. (laughs) Yeah. And it's true. I think especially being in entrepreneurship spaces or even creative spaces, if you don't identify as an entrepreneur, this happens for a lot of artists, particularly as well as this imposter syndrome that comes in. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, God, everyone's doing it this way. And that's not me. Or I don't identify with all of that. And I want to do that thing, but I don't want to do it that way. So maybe I shouldn't do it. And it's this like block. It's a huge block when we lean into that stuff. And I can see how this kind of helps. It's gentler. Like this process feels gentler to me than being like, well, this is the five steps to get to X. And (laughs) if you don't do that, then you're not going to be successful in quotes, because I think success is another topic that we could really (laughs) break apart (laughs) defining what that means to people. But That said, do you see imposter syndrome as part of something that you work with with people or is that part of this? Absolutely. I think 95% of my clients, maybe not the lions, but 95% of my clients struggle with imposter syndrome at some level. They all want more confidence. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's when they're with the higher ups, you know, with the C-suite, they feel like I don't belong at this table which is what imposter syndrome is, right? I don't belong here. I don't belong at this table. I'm not worthy enough to do that. And they really are, but they don't see it in themselves. So we have to, again, sort of pound away at their strengths and why they are worthy and what value they do bring to the table until they believe it in themselves. Yeah, confidence is so powerful. And I feel like it's one of those words that we throw around a lot. Like, oh, yeah, confidence. Like, we need confidence. But what does that mean anymore? Like, it's so much bigger in terms of the process of getting to it than just saying, oh, you just need to be more confident. (laughs) 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 Like, that's your problem. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think we're already kind of leaning into my next question through what we've already discussed. But I noticed you have a course on how to maximize and modify your personality style. And the maximize part is easy for me to understand. But the modify part is interesting to me because a lot of us are like, well, I don't want to change. (laughs) Do I have to change who I am? So can you help me understand what it means to modify your personality style and just how that works into becoming a better leader or just working better with others? Sure. I think of it sort of like on the uh, the old stereo systems that had the dial on it, right? And you can dial up your strengths and just keep taking them to the next level. Because if you're already an eight in something on a scale of one to 10 and you keep working on it, you could become a 10. And people pay for 10s, right? You want a 10 hairstylist, right? You want a 10 server at a restaurant. You definitely want a 10 surgeon working on you. So you just take that dial and you, you take these personality traits and you dial those up. But then there are some weaknesses that we all have. Like I mentioned, we got to dial 
dial those down so that they don't become fatal flaws and they actually ruin our influence or hamper it in some way. So I also teach on how to dial some of those down. But the modifying really comes into play when you custom communicate. And I made up that word, but custom communicate with the styles that aren't like you. So you're still who you are, but in order to get buy-in, in order to show respect and honor for those around you that are not like you, you do some tweaks. For instance, like a lion speaking to a golden retriever needs to slow things down and lower their intensity level, or they will be intimidating to the golden retriever. I've known lions that have made golden retrievers cry because they just come on way too strong. And it's almost like getting punched in the mouth in a conversation. The golden just going to go hide under the desk, right? Because it's like, oh, I'm not in this conversation. While the golden to communicate to the lion has to speed up their speech and they have to show more confidence because lions will disregard people that are weak. They'll be just like, nope, all right, I'm just going to move on to somebody else that's going to keep up with me. So that's what I mean by like modifying the style. That's so interesting. I was an actor before and I relate to that. (laughs) It's a study of personalities and life, right? Ultimately, it's very psychological and sociological and philosophical, even if you are doing your homework well (laughs) as an actor. Yes. And that makes sense to me in terms of thinking of tactics, right? Like, how can I get what I want is always kind of what you're trying to think of on stage. And also in dealing with as a child, like narcissism and trying to modify so I can, again, get what I need out of the situation. And I'm very good at weird encounters now as a result, if that makes sense. I can navigate them very well because I can speak their language suddenly. It's just so deep inside me because I learned it at such a young age that now I'm starting to realize that it's somewhat of a skill, but also something that people can learn to do. And I taught it to myself just through my immediate interactions that were in the family and things like that. So I'm sure there's others that can relate to that. The more I talk about it, the more I hear other people relate to that. So I just wanted to bring it up as something that people might be like, oh yeah, maybe I do that. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, I think you're the fifth animal, Barcy, the chameleon. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) right? I know. (laughs) Which sounds like sneaky and deceiving but no 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 i don't mean it that way oh i know but (laughs) i'm defusing it for myself i suppose you know (laughs) but yeah i guess so that's approachable that's interesting so it's kind of creating ways that we can approach each personality so that we feel safe and that we can still play the game and so the other person also feels those things is that part of the goal right and we want psychological safety they say that's the number one trait to have in conversations to be a safe person, you know, you've got to create that even difficult conversations. I just released my newest book, Leading Through the Dark Waters of Conflict. And in that book, it's all about creating this psychological safety so you can get to win-win, right? It's not me win, you lose, because that's aggressiveness. Win-win is assertiveness. Like, I'm going to stand in my truth and share with you what I need to say, but I also want to do it in such a way that you're going to receive it and that maybe change can actually happen in our relationship from here on out. So that's how I define assertiveness. Oh, wow. That just blew my mind a little bit. That's really cool. I'm very interested to read that book. Is it out already? Yes, it okay, is. Okay, great. Will you send me a link for that so I can include it in the show notes for people? Absolutely. Fantastic. I think conflict is on people's minds lately in maybe more than it was in the past <laughs> in the last few years. So talking about it and writing about it, I think is also offering people safety because you can start to navigate and go, okay, because we don't have a lot of tools for conflict, I think. No. So I know you just explained a little bit 
as an overview of what it is, but are there some principles or some basic tools that you go over in that book that we can take away with us that we can maybe do easily in our lives? Like right away. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring up that we don't have a lot of tools. Like most of us didn't have a class in high school about resolving conflict, right? Or in college, unless you're maybe in some type of sociology class. And then we just watch our parents. And that's not always the healthiest model. Some of them yelled, some of them clammed up. And that was like, okay, there were no tools there. Uh, Then we go to bosses and some of them, again, healthy, some of them not, and how they handle conflict. And we just sort of come up with our own style. We do a default conflict, another one of these little quizzes, right? Default conflict style assessment Mm -hmm. to see, are you a director? Like, or do you come right at it? Are you an avoider on the opposite end? Like you just hope it all goes away. Are you a compromiser who just hopes we both win a little bit, but we both lose a little bit too? Are you a harmonizer that says, you know, can we all just get along? Or are we this integrator? That's the best win-win style where this is what I need. What do you need? That's sort of the posture that we have in a conversation. So learning your default style, is important. And of course, managing your stress is important. So when those conflicts do happen, the self-care, you have a good base so that you don't blow up or get triggered as easily as those that are living on the ragged edge. Wow. Before you even said the word trigger, I was like, certain conflicts are so triggering for each of us differently. So it's like, how do we manage that? And how do we forgive ourselves in the moment enough to kind of move on from that. And maybe it's something that, like you said, needs to happen before. And I think understanding our defaults is a great way to start to work through that initial reaction, right? Yeah, so we're not as triggered, right? Not as easily triggered. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about that. The speaker's like, you know, we can't really do anything about the triggers because they're probably trauma from our past. We've got scars. You know, I'll show you my scar. I'll you show me your scar. <laughs> Almost like a tattoo, you know, that we've had these bad occurrences in our past. So we can't do anything about those, but we can get healthy enough to the point where we're not as triggered mm-hmm. or we've got some tools in order to breathe. We've got some tools to back away from situations, to reframe use that word earlier, uh, so that we aren't triggerable as we typically would be. Most people react pretty quickly when they get triggered, right? And then they realize, oh, I blew it again. You know, I I bled all over everybody, you know, again. And Mm -hmm. so these are just little techniques that you can use on the front end so that when conflict happens, you're going to handle a lot better. Yeah, I will add that I do think you can work on those traumas. You can't change the past, of course. The things that have happened have happened. But there's even beliefs that you can start to rewrite your past history. So that I find very interesting, too, when we start yes. to look at it a little differently. So I do think there's some work that can be done in that space, too. And I differ a little bit on what that speaker said regarding that. But I think overall, it's still all part of that process of how can we be better in the moment or at least recognize what just happened. <laughs> So we can start to be better or say something nice after (laughs) to our component. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And after you've said, you know, what you need to say in a conflict or confrontation, I like the acronym LEAD, L-E-A-D. So the person usually doesn't receive things well, because like I said, most of us react when we get confronted. And if you can remember the LEAD formula, hopefully that'll stick with you as a listener today. Mm -hmm. LEAD stands for listen to them. So hear them out when they react back, because that takes a third of the energy out of the room, out of the conversation, if you just let people speak without interrupting. The E is to empathize. That's where you say, oh, I could see how that would make you stirred up. 
Or I would be angry too if I wasn't communicated with in a timely manner either. That takes another third of the negative energy out of the room because you're seeking to get behind their glasses, right? You're trying to get in their world. The A is to apologize. And this is even though you're confronting this other person about something, there's probably you contributed at some level. Usually, even if it's at 1% level, if you apologize for your share of the wrong, it's amazing how that takes the last third of negativity out of the room. I've had people say like, no, no, you weren't wrong at all. This is totally on me and you're confronting me and I'm just reacting. I'm like, whoa. Okay. Other people will be like, yes, I, f- I forgive you and I'm sorry too. We actually can get towards reconciliation. The D is the disgust part. And oftentimes we jump to D too quickly and it doesn't work backwards. Deal isn't a word, right? So it's, <laughs> it's gotta be, it's gotta be lead. You have to go in that order in order to get to true resolution. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> That's true. Order is important in this case. (laughs) I had an interesting, what felt like a very small conflict, but became bigger because there was a trigger involved, right? And I'll share that I immediately was able to identify it was me that was triggered. What it was, was like, oh, this is from my past. You know, this is not the person in front of me. It's just, I reacted because I was transported to like five-year-old self watching my parents, you know, like this moment that was just like, it's so funny how triggers work. It's like your traveling time, but I was able to recognize it and bring it up right away, but it didn't necessarily relieve the other person's now trauma from my trigger because of their own stuff that they have going on. So the discussion part had to happen a few times until we got to, I think it took probably till the next day for us to get back to a place Mm. where we could let it all go. There were some pieces missing where I think I have a better understanding of my defaults and the other person may still be working on that. So it's like the information about ourselves becomes really important in navigating these moments. And there's always more for us to learn about ourselves because we also continue to change and our circumstances do as well. So it's continuous, which I think is really cool once we accept that, that it's a process. You're never just done. I'm done healing. I'm done knowing everything about myself. <laughs> I wish. I, I am wish. now a perfect human. <laughs> <laughs> I still wish. <laughs> right? <laughs> so interesting how it can be something really, really small, seemingly again, or really big, but the resolution can kind of be handled in similar ways. Yeah. And I think you bring up something my friend Matt, he likes to say, avoid reactions based in childlike insecurities. And I'm like, Ooh. oh, say that again. Avoid reactions based in childlike insecurities, because that's where a lot of this comes from. Right. And now we're adults and we're supposed to adult. Now it's a verb, right? Yeah. We're supposed to adult every day. But sometimes we go back to we revert back to those childlike or teenage responses. Then we don't feel good about that. And I really like how you said we've got to use self-compassion, too, because we will mess up. It is a long long journey towards healing. It'll be the whole rest of our lives and we can get better at it though. And that's the hope I have as a coach, right? Is to give people some tools that they're able to start healing from that. Yeah. And I mean, I know you're a leadership coach, but there's so much more baked into that that is deeper. And I think people show up for being a better leader, but they're going to walk away with all of these human skills that they can continue to take with them regarding the tools they learn and how to grow. And I'm sure that reflects not just in the workplace, for example, or, you know, business life or however people think they want to show up as a leader, but we can be the leader in our personal lives too, right? Like we can have control of our choices and how we want to navigate how we feel and the experience we want to have. To me, that's where leadership really begins. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's personal leadership. I say at the end of my podcast every episode, and uh, you're going to get to be a guest on my podcast too. I yes. can't wait. <laughs> I'll turn the tables on you. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I end it by saying, you know, you have to lead yourself first before you can lead your team, right? You got to lead yourself well before you can lead your team well. Self-leadership precedes team leadership. So you're so right. I feel like my niche is soft skills, and that's pretty broad, but all my training seminars have something to do with soft skills. It's not the, you know, how to get the best results in your company. I'm glad there's people that do that part, but it's this stuff. It's the personality, emotional intelligence, time management, you know, vision, change, all these things that are really leaders mess with people's lives. They really do. They don't mean to in a bad way, but when leaders are driving towards a target, they have to be fully aware that the relationships need to come along with them on the journey. So that's why soft skills are so important in leadership. Yeah, I think it's becoming more of a topic and more of an acceptance that it's it's at the top of the list nowadays that I'm hearing in these other conversations. I produce another podcast called The Future of Work, and it comes up often in that space where the speakers are emphasizing that as we move towards a more technological world, what becomes actually more important is the soft skills because those are irreplaceable. So we don't want to lose the humanness of the things that we engage with whether it's AI or not, it still requires a team that has soft skills. And in fact, we need that almost top of the list in terms of requirements from an employee, for example, versus technical skills, because those can be taught, but soft skills is a very different journey. It's something like 85% of firings, you know, people that get let go from a job have to do with the soft skills, lack of relational skills. And that's not the technical stuff. They're not getting fired because, oh, you didn't uh, do your professional development training on the safety protocols, right? It's usually because they couldn't get along with other people play well in the sandbox with them on the team. And they've turned enough people off that the company finally goes enough. Like you're not a good fit for our our culture. So you're right. it, It really should go to the top of the list. Yeah, I I guess I just want to point that out because I think what you're doing is really important. And I just want to shine light on this being an extremely important thing for us to kind of consider in our personal and professional lives is to really work on ourselves and spend time figuring out more about who we are and how we can play in the sandbox. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I actually want to transition a little bit or shift gears, I should say, because I want to hear more about you and your journey into how you came upon all of this pathway that you're in now, what you're working on these days and what you did before, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah. A little bit about me. I'm Paul. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You want a little bit more than that? Okay. (laughs) I heard a speaker do that once and I go, I'm going to totally use that. (laughs) I did. (laughs) That was hilarious. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, grew up in a very sheltered home. So I don't have a lot of scars, so to speak, from making lots of bad decisions because it was pretty much a greenhouse. So it was the same with my home life, my church life, my school life, all the same. And so I was an only child as well, which is like being a firstborn on steroids, as they say. So I got all the chores and also all the presents. (laughs) But my life was pretty small, pretty enclosed. Luckily, I had a best friend who lived a few blocks away and went to my school and church and we were the same age. And so he was like a brother to me, which is great. Then I went off to college and studied elementary education. So I became a fifth grade teacher. So that was my first career, moved to Southern California, your neck of the woods, and uh, became a fifth grade teacher. So I moved far away from my home of Chicago. I'd never been west of the Mississippi in my life. And there I was in, you know, LA area. And all I had were the kids in my class and the teachers and their parents. And that was my social network. 
Wait, why did you move to L.A. of all places to be a fifth grade teacher? Well, I was following a girl there. And, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. A lot yeah, of people we, move west for that. Yeah, we broke up within six months. So then I was really alone. It was not what I was predicting was going to happen. And so then it was like, okay. So that was a reinvention moment in my life to go, okay, there was all this in the past and I've got my whole life ahead of me. And now I have my first career job. Whoa. What do I truly believe? What are my current values? What do I want to do with my life? So reinvention hit me right there at age 22. But I love teaching. Being an educator is so fulfilling. And that's where I learned all the time management stuff. Because as a teacher, you have to manage recess and spelling and language arts and science and get it all in in a day. And over the course of a year, you've got to get the whole curriculum in. So that's where I got my love for time management. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah, for a couple of years, my principal, who became a mentor to me, saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, which was leadership. And he said, would you be my vice principal next year? And I'm like, I'm 24 years old. And I'm like, uh, okay, if you think I can do it, he goes, it's not a full-time job. We could put you maybe like in physical education. Like you'd be the PE teacher half the day and you can be my vice principal the other half of the day. And I went, okay. So I came to school in a suit and I went into gym clothes at <laughs> at lunchtime and became this guy that was just playing with the kids out on the field and that was a big step for me. So instead of 24 students, now I had 540 students that I had influence over plus the teachers. From there I moved up to this wonderful state of Washington, the Evergreen State, and became a school principal at age 26 just 2 years later. And again, didn't think I could do it. And I said, well, if you think I could do it, I didn't have my master's yet. It was a a private school. And so in that Mm -hmm. system, you don't have to have the master's right out of the chute. So they said, we'll pay for that. I'm like, you'll pay for it. I'm in. And so I became a principal at age 26. So that was my first 10 or so years of my career. That makes a lot of sense, especially working with children in terms of the soft skills and relationships and working together and understanding how to solve conflict and all of these things. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. And patience, too, that's required, I think, when we work in this type of space of helping people through these sorts of things. So what happened after that? What did you do after being a principal? I spent six years being a elementary school principal in the school here in this town. Felt restless. I love following John Maxwell as a leadership guru. He's my favorite author. And he has the law of the lid, which is when a leadership system puts a lid over you and you can't grow and you keep butting up against it. You can't influence the power structure in an organization. And whenever that's happened to me, then in all these jobs, I felt restless and felt like I needed to leave because it was like, okay, at this point, I don't want anything stunting my growth. Took a school in the Seattle area area for a few years and then moved back here to be a parenting educator, like a family pastor at a church. Mm. And so I was helping parents parent their children. Like I did seminars, CDs were just getting big at that time. Podcasts were just barely starting about Mm -hmm. that time. And I could do seminars and it was like full freedom to use all the media that we had options to help parents with their parenting skills. That evolved into doing premarital counseling. And I think I've officiated like 35 weddings now, you know, in my time. And of course, I gave them the same personality quiz that you took on my website. (laughs) Because I said, well, in theory, if you're signing up with someone for life, shouldn't you know their personality style and the strengths and weaknesses of that? So Mm -hmm. that's where I started using that. And so I've always been an educator at heart. Then I became an executive pastor at a church, which is like being a principal, but without the kids, although adults sometimes act like kids. But anyways, and so from there, 
I learned about coaching. I'd already been speaking to seven different regions at teacher conventions, giving them lots of ideas. And I love the energy of a room full of 150 people just hanging on every word for ideas. And I just love that thrill. Kept developing more and more seminars. Then I heard what coaching was. Thought it was a little woo-woo, like what's life coaching? Like, eh, I don't know what that is. It doesn't have enough like definition. But then when I, I got into it, I'm like, that is what I do naturally. I love helping people get to their vision and their goals for their life and getting them unstuck. And I thought, what if I could make a career out of this? Like speaking, coaching, and maybe if I had team building in there, I got a three-legged stool and maybe I could make a living. So the dream job kept creeping up while the day job, I wasn't as passionate about that. And that's when I launched in 2015, full-time Growing Forward Services and haven't looked back since. Amazing. So what was that beginning stage like? Like letting go, letting go so hard. That's why I asked this question. Letting go of the identity we wrap around ourselves when we do one thing for a while and knowing that our heart is kind of speaking to us or your soul, however people want to define that for themselves. But we know this is over here is what we're supposed to be doing next. And having, forgive me, having the balls to do it, (laughs) (laughs) like having the gusto to go, okay, I'm going to listen to this call and going all in. I did an all in transition for myself too. And I'll be honest, it was hard. It was hard to do a complete quit and switch. And I don't know if you did it that way, but I'm just curious what that was like for you. Yeah, I went to a conference down there in LA. It was called the Big Money Speaker Boot Camp. And so like again, it was just a way for this guy to get us all down there. It was free, you know, if you can just get into the room. And of course they try to sell you on lots of programs and stuff. But it was at that event where I'm like, I could do this. Like, this is what my heart is saying I need to do. Four of us were together at our table. Every one of us quit our job within three years. One lady quit her job that day. She called (laughs) and she said, I resign. And I was like, wow, okay, that's a little impulsive for me. Like, can't do that. But all four of us ended up resigning from our job in three years. I was the last one to do so because I had a family and I wanted to make sure they were well taken care of. So, yeah, it takes a lot of courage to make the leap. And that first year as an entrepreneur... Well, I knew I had to do it. Like, like I'm put on this planet to do what I'm doing. I get to live my purpose every day. And that is so compelling that I can't even look back and go, you know, I wonder if I regret. No, I don't. I don't regret any of that. That first year is hard as an entrepreneur because your income goes to zero very quickly. Yeah. If you're married, you know, usually your spouse is like, uh, is this a good thing? Like (laughs) she she was scratching her head there after six months and I was making like $1,900, you know, a month. And that wasn't enough to support the family. But, you know, you start getting one break, you start networking, you start offering new services. And then one thing leads to another. Then you get an anchor client that starts sending you lots of business. And now you could start diversifying. And after one year, I would then resign from a couple little part-time jobs that I had. And that's been great. Thank you for kind of walking us through the journey a little bit, because it can be so befuddling. It's like, well, what happens? Like what happens? There's a lot of majesticness around being an entrepreneur and quitting your job. And it's, (laughs) it sounds inspirational and awesome. And it is, and it's necessary if you feel called to do it, but it's not particularly smooth sailing unless you are Usually it's like the second or third business where it's a little easier because you understand how to do it and you've worked up some funds to live on and it's like a different process. You can take your time maybe in a different way, but my journey was similar. So I relate to what you just shared and mine is the spouse, but yeah, I think I was making like, I don't know. 400 800 bucks a month for like a year i mean yeah it's scary it's broke city yeah (laughs) it's scary 
And I read the book called Quitter by John Acuff. So if, if oh, any of your yeah. listeners are thinking about, you know, launching, and he said, don't quit your day job. He says that really big, even though the book is called Quitter, which means, you know, like quit and start your thing, right? He says, don't quit your day job until you have done all these things. And he said, pick a dollar figure you want in the bank. And for some reason, I picked $17,000. Isn't that weird? Like I picked a, a really odd number. And I said, if I get 17000 in the bank, then I'm going to launch because mm-hmm. I guess that'll get me through, I don't know, <laughs> a few months. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I don't know why I picked that number. But as soon as I got it, I'm like, I'm resigning. I'm out. Interesting. Yeah, I had kind of more of a spiritual boom. I was like, oh, I got the message today. I'm supposed to quit. So I guess that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and I walked into my job and I quit. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> I gave myself time though. I said, I'm giving my, what was it? Like six weeks notice instead of two so that they could replace and I could get my head around what just happened. <laughs> classy. Yes. Classy move for the employer. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad I did that. It gave me time to kind of go, all right, like, what is this going to look like? And am I doing this? You know? All right. So all of that said, what is the one thing you want people to understand about the conversation we just had today? I think it's critical to have a vision for your life. If you're a spiritual person to pray for that, if you're a networker to around, grab a bunch of people around, they're going to ask you difficult questions. If you're more of a contemplative person, you know, to really do, go on some personal retreats and wrestle with it. But you need a vision for your life because it just pulls you forward into a desired future. Even if you just come up with a one-year vision for your life, I think it's critical because then it's like, this is where I want my wellness to be, my relationships to be, my business to be. And now it's like, all right, there's a target. Now I'm going to back into that with some goals. And then I'm going to use time management to make sure those goals get in my calendar and build some momentum on that. And I just think we all need momentum or else we just drift. So I think that is the key is you need a compelling vision for your life. Yes. Thank you for that. And I'm just going to add, I think structure helps, which is the time management. I know we didn't touch on it that much this time. Maybe we'll have you back and we'll discuss that too. But I know you have freebies for that on your website too. Yes. People are interested in learning how to add some structure to this process. So thank you so much for sharing that. How can we connect with you? My website is growingforwardservices.net. So that's all things Paul Casey there. Of course, on the socials as well, Growing Forward Services on Facebook and Paul D. Casey on LinkedIn. And I've got the Grow Forward Today podcast that you'll be a guest on. Yay. Very much looking forward to that and very much enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Beeple Begin. We hope that these episodes are helping inspire and empower you to take your next steps towards whatever you're thinking of creating. And if starting a podcast is what you're thinking of creating, then I would love to have you in my brand new private Facebook group, Unleash Your Podcast Niche, a podcast learning community for the aspiring podcaster who cares about creating an authentic message and making an impact with podcasting. Join us for live opportunities with me and meet other creatives like you who are at the same stage. There's a link in the show notes to join us. Happy creating.